Tonight, as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse by verse, we pick up where David has been, he's escaped Saul from the cave. He spared Saul's life, but he escaped from Saul. Saul, his father-in-law, the current king, is chasing him, pursuing him throughout the territory of Israel, the size of Southern California. And this is an ongoing process over about a 10-year period. David is being refined by the Lord to be the future king of the Lord. Saul has been rejected by the Lord, but is the current king of the Lord. And that's what's going on. The spirit of distress has come upon Saul, and the Lord's spirit has come upon David. And all these tribulations and trials going on in David's life are refining him to become the man he's meant to be to lead God's people and be a true shepherd for them. At the same time, we saw last week, too, that the cave of uh, Adullam in previous chapter chapters that God brought the mighty men to David. And so he's not alone. He's got 600 men with him that God is shaping and molding and transforming as well for the ministry that they're doing. So we see David as a leader, David being led, how he interacts with Saul, how he influences men, and these things. And so he was going to avenge himself against Nabal. That's where the last chapter ended. But uh, Abigail came out and just the wise woman made good sense to him and saved everybody from things they'd regret, which is a beautiful story in of itself. And now as we come to chapter 26, we come forward from that part of the text where David has taken uh, Abigail as his wife because God struck down her husband, Nabal. Now, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hills of Hakaliah, opposite Jeshimon? And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hills of Hakaliah, which is opposite Jeshem, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul laid within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zariah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out in battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So this is the second time David has a close encounter with Saul. Unlike the first time, it happened randomly, right? Because David and his men were in the cave, and Saul went in the cave to relieve himself to go to the restroom. And then there's 400 men trying to keep quiet, and David sneaks up on him and cuts a corner of his robe. And that whole story we already studied. But now here's a second encounter. And these guys of Ziph, these Ziphites, they're just no good. They're just, it's a whole community that's up against David. 
They created the problems for him in the previous chapters. And here they are again, just stirring up Saul, pushing his buttons. Hey, David's over here. Come get him. So here comes Saul again with 3,000 mighty men again, outnumbering a ratio of five to one, David's mighty men. And from a military standpoint, we could suspect that Saul's mighty men were mightier than David's because David's men are still being molded and shaped in their experiences, whereas Saul's men would have had more experience fighting the Philistines and things like that. So David and 600 men are fleeing. Saul's pursuing them all over this region. And here they come, the 3,000 men. But David heard that they were coming. And in verse 4, it says that David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. I like this verse for a couple of reasons. Because you can get hearsay. People say, oh, did you hear this? Or did you hear that? Or, oh, man. And, and in our day and age, everyone's pushing buttons. Almost all news is designed to push your buttons. It's just to push your buttons. And people have an opinion about things that don't matter more often than not. And they say things to push your buttons. And some people are uh, passive-aggressive manipulators, and some are very aggressive manipulators. And some people just know what to say, how to say it, to just, just push your buttons and get you all worked up and get you fearful of this or anxious over that. And we talked about this last week, the, the men in debt and distress and discontent. The stress and it's just the anxiety that you can have. So David is, it's a reality, he's running for his life. And he gets a rumor that Saul's coming after him. But give David credit. He sent out spies to find out if it was true. This is a good insight for us because, and I've been talking a lot about this. When you know, when you know the facts about something, then you can make intelligent decisions about it. Particularly like, hey, we're going to live here, live there, sell our house, do this. Can I get in? I'm thinking about going to college. Can I get in? Can I enroll? Do I have the money? Can I get the funding? Can I? Whatever. When so many people just have this sort of pie in the sky, wish list of what they want to do with no traction at all to their idea, no, no plan, no roadmap, anything, because they don't have basic information of what's going on. And it, it's very important, like, when you, okay, so three years ago, I'd never been to Russia, and one day I prayed for David Markey, the last photo on that slideshow, and I says, how does a guy like David Markey end up in Siberia? And then the next day, it opens up right from another random phone call to North Carolina that I have a chance to go to Russia and see David Markey. But I had to get the visa. I had to find out how to get a visa. I was told, don't just apply at the consulate for a Russian visa. Go through this cert these services. These Russians, you pay them 500 bucks. Their buddies work at the consulate, and you get your visa. You find out how to get a visa in Russia. Then I had to do this. I had to get my flight. Right? I had to do this, 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 and that, everything else. I'm going to the pastor's conference, and this is going to be happening. There's fluidity in our plans, but there has to be a sense of direction. And you can't have direction if you don't know the circumstances that are going on around you. And particularly, as I even taught just a week ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, about being in debt, in distress and discontent, like how you get out of debt and these certain things and having a plan and knowing where you're at financially in a difficult time with inflation and recession and the super bubble and all these things. The more you know, what you know is an asset to you. With the Lord, with Christian maturity, because Paul said, I know who I believed in, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. If you know the Lord, and you know the voice of the Lord, and you know the word of God, you know, and you know the promises, you know what you need to know. But if you don't know the Bible, you don't know it. If you don't know the Lord, you don't know him. And when it comes to living life and making challenging decisions that affect your employees, 600 of them like David here, 
before you get mobile again, start scrambling around because you heard Saul's doing this, it's good to know. Make time to know. What you're trying to do with your life, what you're thinking about with your life, it's good for you to proactively seek out knowledge and understanding for what you need to know. Can this really happen? As I prayed about going to Russia during the first and second year of the COVID crisis, I was constantly looking at the Moscow Times, seeing the, the U.S. consulate statements coming out of Moscow, and I knew what I couldn't do, what I could do and I couldn't do, and I got people from Russia saying, hey, you should come and do this. I'm like, hey, let me explain something to you. I can't go to Russia. I can't, I'm not on the list. U.S. citizens can't go there right now at all. And so knowledge is important because, again, knowledge is the facts. Understanding is what it means. So if I read that the, US, that the Russian consulate in the United States is saying American citizens cannot go to Russia unless they're diplomats during COVID, then I know there's a fact I understand. I can't go. Why am I going to book a ticket with Aeroflot out of New York City once a week? Because I'm not going to get on that flight because I'm not a diplomat. You see, that's understanding. So wisdom is I'm not going to spend $1,800 to book the ticket and try and get the money back. And what I like about here, it says that David, he sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So you can hear about something, or you can hear, you know, the stock market's going to do this. You can hear that ETFs are doing this. You can hear that Calvary Chapel movement's going through this, or this pastor's going through that, or this thing or that thing. And you can hear all you want to hear, and people got lots of things that say that you can hear. But if it's something that's important to you, then take the time to know and do your homework so you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing with your personal decisions and find out the information. Know, then understand what it means. And if it's meant to be and the Lord confirms it, then he gives you wisdom to take the next step, to put into action. So he gives you the knowledge, he gives you the understanding, and then you have wisdom. So in this case, David heard that Saul was coming for him with the 3,000 men. It's not the first time he's heard this. But he sends out spies to confirm the truth of that rumor. And it is, in fact, true. So unlike David having Saul stumble in the cave like the previous time, this time David finds this out, understands it, and he actually has a plan of action, which would be wisdom. He makes a decisive decision what he's going to do. He gets proactive. He takes the initiative. And personally, I prefer, and I'm sure I'll get an amen from some of you on this, I prefer to be in front of things than behind them. I would much rather, that's why I don't like surprises or pranks and stuff like that. You know, I just, I just don't like stuff like that. Uh, there, life gives you enough surprises without your buddies coming up with a prank to surprise you. All right? I like to, I like to, so many things happen that are just out of your control. And not that we have to be in control. But a good plan is usually a good plan. People who are successful with the Lord and fruitful for the Lord generally have some sense of a plan. William Carey, the great missionary to India that changed the world and the father of modern missions, he had a plan. He had a plan how he'd raise money in England, how he'd move his family to India, how he would go there and have a, a job with the Indio, Indio plants and do the plant dyes and all this stuff in the colonies and then be allowed to do missionary work. He had a plan with what he was doing. And I prefer to be in front of things and have a plan than not. Because even the best laid plans just can be blown up. But if you're going somewhere, you can adjust your plan. If you're just kind of meandering, them, what is that? The people without a vision perish. So he had a plan... And he's going to take the initiative. He's going to take the initiative on Saul. David was not one to wait for Goliath to come after him. He charged Goliath. When Goliath came out and started talking trash, like, I'm going to... David's like, no. 
Because Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And David goes, hey, no, I'm going to feed you and your entire army to the birds. And he ran right at him. He upped the game. He didn't wait for Goliath. Like, you know, David's just like, oh, just went right at him. I'm feeding you and your whole army to the birds. I upped you one. You're playing checkers. I'm playing chess. Boom, game over. And he could have said, I'm going to cut your head off with your sword, too. David was the guy who took initiative. And there's a time to wait on the Lord, but there's a time to take the initiative. And David took the initiative in this situation. He didn't take the initiative to execute Saul, as we see in the story, but he took the initiative to to make the first move and sort of set the chessboard the way it was favorable for him. And of all the things that David could take, isn't it crazy? Because we talk about Saul's spear for like six weeks, right? I mean, really? Saul's spear? What a trophy. What a trophy in a game of chess in life. He already defeated Goliath. He has Goliath's sword. So in his trophy mantle, he's got Goliath's sword, and just for one night, he's got Saul's spear. You know, the spear that Saul would throw at David, and that Saul threw at his own son, Jonathan, the spear that terrorized everybody. The right hand of Saul was his spear. It became his identity. And the more he threw it, the more comfortable he became throwing it. We talked about that. And there he is. He's sleeping with his spear. And David takes the spear. And just like he had the little piece of the robe, he's got the spear. He says, I could have, but I didn't. Because I'm not your enemy, and I'm not against you. David was never against him. And how about the insight to say to Abishai, hey, you got it all wrong. You cannot. We talked about this last week. If you. To kill Saul is to become Saul. And if God wanted another Saul, he could have all the rest of the kings in the book of Kings and Chronicles. David's a very special king. He's not meant to be Saul's replacement. He's meant to be David from the tribe of Judah, fulfilling the promises made in hundreds of years prior, even a thousand years prior to when Jacob prophesied about the scepter not departing from Judah, and ultimately that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, will come through the line of David. David is not meant to be another Saul. You pick up that spear and you take out Saul with his spear, you become Saul. And so David's wisdom is, hey, God can, he can die of natural death. God can strike him down or he can die in battle. But it's not our place to do that. And of course, we had a whole study on Saturday night about not avenging ourselves. So we know that David, David's maturity here is amazing. But listen... He took the time to find out the knowledge and the information that was necessary to make the right decisions in a difficult time in his life that affected all the people traveling with him. Then he came up with a plan that was a, you know, a risky plan, but everything's a risk in the human experience. To do nothing's the worst risk of all. Seth never lived. Everything's a risk. So David takes the risk. He goes for it. I mean, just like, like can you imagine how intense that is, like sneaking to the camp? You're David with Abishai? Like, that's so crazy, crazy, gutsy. Like, oh, man. And, but look how God rewarded it. Because he takes the steps of faith to go get the spear and the jug. But what we read, we read that God met that faith. It's like the John 2, and it says Jesus said, fill the water pots. And then he turned into wine. Our job is to fill the water pots. What he does with it is his business. He turned it to wine, the supernatural. Well, in this case, they took the steps of faith. They honored the position of Saul, but they were playing chess when Saul was playing checkers. And in the end, 
What did God do? He brought a spirit of sleep, heavy sleep upon him. Remember in The Wizard of Oz when the lion's falling asleep? You know, it's one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. When the lion in Wizard of Oz is just like, you know, it's like, that's what God did to the whole entire army of David, of uh, Saul's army. 3,000 men, they're like, they're like in the field before the city there, Emerald City. That's what it's like. It was supernatural. We don't have to presume it's supernatural. The text says it was supernatural. God put a spirit upon them. So again, David takes the time to find out what's going on. David has a plan, takes the initiative, and as he takes the steps of faith and takes the risk, then God covers his back and meets that initiative with supernatural power to back it up. It's a beautiful story. And yet again, another lesson that we get from David. Now we read out the chapter, verse 13. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, are you, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came to destroy your lord the king, and the thing that you've done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you've not guarded your master. The lord's anointed. And now, now see, where's the king's spear? And there's a jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is, is that your voice, my son, David? And David said, It's my voice, my lord king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the lord. For they have driven me out of this day from sharing in the inheritance of the lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Ooh, this is the real core issue in this story. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I've sinned. Return, my son David, for I I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I've played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here's the king's spear. That one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. And the Lord will. For the Lord deliver you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Uh, A quick thought there in verse uh, 18, 19, there in that range, uh, 19. So David said, "If, if the Lord's done it, fair enough. But if the children of men have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. Because not only am I not in the place of Israel, but I can't even go to the place of worship, and I'm driven out from the place that God has for us, and I'm being driven to serve other gods. And that's just, that's a real issue for David because he's a man with a heart after God. So all these tribulations have driven him from the place of fellowship with the Lord, fellowship in the land, fellowship in the blessings, and fellowship with God's people. And yet we know these tribulations and trials are difficult and hard. He called them tribulations there in verse 24, but he knew the Lord was over it. But he said, if there's evil men behind this, let God deal with it. And we know, if there's anything we know in the human experience, evil men and evil women can stir up all kinds of trouble against you and me. 
it was stunning to me when I was coaching the U.S. Olympic surf team, not just for surfing, but for any sport. There's about, say, 100 sports, counting uh, Paralympics, winter sports, and summer sports. And each sport, so the USOC is like a federal government. They're over everything. They have big sponsors like Nike, and they're the big, big thing. But then each sport is like a state government. They're called NGBs, National Governing Bodies. And each sport uh, has its own government, its own bylaws, like a church, but different denominations almost. And they collectively represent their sports to one. And what I, when I was involved with it, what, what ended up happening is because of all the bad things that happened in other sports, they created this organization by which you can make a claim against anyone, frivolous, sustained, whatever, because bad things did happen and bad things were covered up, particularly in gymnastics, if you know the story. But what it did is empowered disgruntled parents to create all kinds of mischief and problems for any and every coach. And in the midst of just putting this whole program together, and, and of course, Kristen Moore did go on to win gold for the women at the Olympics in surfing, we built this entire structure, like building a, 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 an expansion franchise baseball team. We built the single A, the double A, the triple A, the majors, the whole thing. We did this whole thing. It was incredible. And yet, it just takes one disgruntled parent of a 14-year-old to make an accusation against me, and the USOC has a whole organization to receive that accusation, and then put some under under you know uh, a watch list, if you will, and it's just a horrible, horrible experience. And as I've said before, and you think he hasn't gotten over it, actually I have, but I, it was the most painful thing I've been through. And you go through painful things, and that's why I share it occasionally to let you know what it feels like. But I was so happy and so proud to be the coach of the US Olympic Surf Team in a good way. I really was, and I really enjoyed it. And it hurt so much what I was put through. And what was the most painful thing is, I never got to face my accusers. I never got to know my accusations. And I had to get a call from the big boss and tell me to just keep my mouth shut and go with the, go with the flow. And so, of course, it was only a matter of time. I sealed the fruit and just walked. I, did, I, did, I, I played chess. I exited on my initiative under my circumstances, like a road trip. This is our exit. Starbucks, In-N-Out, and a clean Holiday Inn Express. I'm not going to let them throw me off at, at exit XYZ on the way to Vegas where there's nothing. I'm choosing my exit under my circumstances. That's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Still, though, evil men stirred it up. I don't expect any apologies, and I don't expect any justice. It doesn't matter. That was then. This is now. But you go through things like this at work. You go through things like this with your family. You go through things like this with ex-spouses and family court. You go through things like this with maybe your government job where evil men stir up things against you, and what can you do? And you may not get a fair day in court. You may not get a chance to explain everything. But know what David said, and take comfort with this. He said um, in verse 23, May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. And that's what we would say to all of us. May the Lord repay every woman for her righteousness and faithfulness and how she handled those injustices. And may the Lord repay every man for their faithfulness and in righteousness for how they handle those things. And it's always going to be the right thing to handle things right. We, we never, ever want to lay hold of Saul's spear other than just to say, hey, take a deep breath, Saul. Here's your spear. Take it back. We don't want to pick up the spear that someone threw at us, the Saul's in our world, and throw it back at them because then we become just like them. And that's why Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek, walk away, forgive those, move on, and let it go. And that's what we have to do. And as painful as that is, I figure the more painful it is in time, space, and matter, the greater the reward is in eternity. 
The more painful it is in time, space, and matter, the greater the reward will be in eternity. To the degree that you've suffered injustices that you do not see laid straight in time, space, and matter, that's the degree of reward in eternity that much more. I believe that in the equities of the Lord and how, how his justice works. Now, we move on to chapter 27. It's a short chapter. So David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me to do than I just should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Well, that's a tough conclusion, but you can see how he got there. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moach, the king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, David with his two wives, Ahinoam uh, the Jezreelite, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, so he, he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your sight, in your eyes, uh, let, uh, let them give me a, a place or some kind of town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should your servants dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. And therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was for one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Gershites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from old, as you go to Sur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither men nor women alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, camels, and apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, uh, where have you made a raid today? And David said, oh, against the southern areas of Judah or against the southern areas of uh, Jehomelites or against the southern area of the Kenites. And David would save neither male nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time that he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people, Israel, utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So a couple interesting thoughts on this chapter. We will read chapter 28 in just a moment. But uh, in this transitional chapter, a couple things get our mind. We've seen this with David, that it's just so unfortunate that Saul has put him in such difficult places to make difficult decisions. And the older I get, the more I understand that not so much what people do, but why they're doing it. Desperate people do desperate things. That's what we learn. Desperate people do desperate things. And the more desperate they are, the, might, the more desperate the thing they might be that, that takes action. And the Lord looks upon the heart, and we don't know why. Some people do some things or don't do some things. But David's desperate, and he's just trying to figure it out day by day, and he ends up with, with uh, the king down there in, in Gath. This guy, Achish, is classic. Because remember, David's already been with Achish, where he was acting like a madman drooling on his beard. He's just, he's, he, again, he's playing chess with Achish, who's playing checkers. Because David's way ahead of him. David's like, David's like acting. He's just like, oh, he's like fully in character, like the madman drooling. Like, oh, and Achish's like, dude, this guy's a madman. How did this guy defeat Goliath? I mean, Goliath is our superhero. This, this guy's nuts. Whatever he was last year, he's nuts in this year. This guy is nuts. David's like, oh, and, 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 and Achish went for it. He's like, dude, the guy's nuts. Get him out of here. But now David comes back at a later time, and, and, and Achish's like, this, this, this dude is playing games with me right now. He's not out of his mind. This, this is David who killed his ten thousands and Saul killed his thousands. This guy, he's, so he's like, hey, I could use you in my, in my staff. You know, we're, we're Philistines. We like guys like you. You're pretty shrewd. 
So I will give you Ziglag, and you're going to be part of my, my cartel, if you will. You're part of my, my group here. You're going to be part of my army. And David outsmarts him. Now, the people David's wiping out, the Malachites, those are the people Saul's supposed to wipe out anyways. Those are forever enemies of Israel. Nothing's, they're people judged by God to never even exist. I don't think they exist anymore, probably, but maybe they do, and who knows? The Lord knows all the genealogies and ancestries.com, King Jesus, but uh, the Lord knows. But at any rate, David covered up what he was doing. So as he brought back all this booty, he's like, ah, dude, he's, he's like, he's, 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 on, he's playing for us. It's like leaving the Red Sox and playing for the Yankees or something, you know, but in a much more broader way. I'm just trying to give an analogy like, yeah, they're, they're on our side now. He's on our side. Israel will never take him back. He's abhorred in the eyes of Israel, except he's not doing this to Israel. He's doing this to Israel's enemies, which brings up a really good point. When you're totally lost in life and you don't know which way is north with Jesus, just know it's going to always be the right thing to do what you know God's called you to do. And you want to, the enemies of God, David is not attacking God's people. He's attacking their enemies. So in, in this difficult 16-month period of his life where he just can't figure anything out like we've all just been through the last couple of years, like 16 months just like, going, I, I just don't even know. Do we open? Do we not open? Do we do this? Do we do that? Like just, ah, at least he knew not to attack God's people. But to attack what God had already said was the absolute enemies of the Lord. So essentially, in a time of uncertainty, he did the one thing they knew was certain. That was what God would honor, and he did it. So even in the midst of chaos, he didn't unravel. You follow me? Like we've said this before, in, in chaotic situations, General Henri Commander-in-Chief, all Katrina Relief in New Orleans said this. So I'm quoting him. This is not me. Stupid people get way stupid. Average people get stupid, and smart people get average. This is David getting average. Just that's why you want to discipline yourself for godliness on a daily basis. That's why you want to seek the Lord, know the voice of the Lord, know his word. That's why even when you're completely in chaos and your world's upside down and you're, you've already seen madness among the Philistines and you don't know which way is up, that's why when you're drooling on your beard and all these things are going this way, you still know right from wrong. And you still know the, the right side of the tracks and the wrong side of the tracks with the Lord that he has for you. What's the right lane, not the wrong lane? And that's, that's just the way it is. Chapter 27 is a messy chapter. It's just messy. It's like, oh, what a messy chapter. But in the end, David was not attacking God's people. He was attacking God's enemies. And Achish is thinking, well, yeah, and he's lying to Achish. And who wouldn't in that situation? Achish believed David. Ah, therefore he will be my servant forever. See, that's how the world thinks. The world understands lawyers, money, and power. That's what the world understands. Lawyers, money, and power. And Achish is about lawyers, money, and power. And David is an asset. To him, David's just a super shrewd guy that can be his servant and help him accomplish his goals in his little world that he rules as governor, king of Achish. It's not going to go that way. Chapter 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. 
And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Oh, I could do a full topical on this text right here. Don't let the kings of the Philistines dumb down who you are, daughter of Jesus, son of Jesus in the kingdom. Achish looks at David as his servant, and maybe he can be a chief guardian for the Philistines. David is the greatest king of all time. David is the great King David, who carries the sword of Goliath and held the sword, the spear of Saul. David isn't just any king. In 40 kings of Israel, he's the greatest king of Israel. In all the kings that have ever ruled over any dynasties and kingdoms in human history, who is like David and what record do we have of their lives like David from the ancients? David. Achish is like, yeah, I think I'll make him like my foreman. I'll put him in charge of the warehouse. He might be CFO, maybe COO, chief operational officer. That's all he sees because he just sees money, power, and lawyers. No offense if you're a lawyer. Like I said last week, I just kissed my lawyer the other day. I just kissed me. I love you, Greg. But that's the kind of lawyer you want, one you can kiss, right? Yeah who's been with us from the very beginning of worship generation from the very first day. That's my kind of lawyer, a kingdom lawyer. Yeah. So don't be surprised when you have a vision and a calling and a sense of purpose from Jesus in your life that requires steps of faith because they all do. And requires getting out of your comfort zone, which they all do. Sounds crazy to people who don't have the mind of the Lord, which it does. And it even sounds crazy to people who do have the mind of the Lord, but they're not called to fulfill your calling. There are always people that will dumb you down to not do what God is raising you up and called to do. There is your own, your own voice of doubt in your mind sometimes. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive, because some thoughts... Uh, are just your own thoughts going like, why would I? And the devil's like, here, I've got a thought for you. Why would you think God would use you that way? You, you're such a loser. God would never use you that way. Or like, you're pretty good, but you're not that good. And like, and then you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, that's pretty crazy. I think I'm going to go like the Middle East and do something like that. Like, who goes to the Middle East? You? Because no one else thinks to go to the Middle East. And if it's on your heart to go to the Middle East, you probably should go to the Middle East. The average American wakes up thinking how they can preserve their wealth, and you're giving up yours to go to the Middle East and share Christ with people who don't want to hear about it. If that's you, that's probably you, because your natural flesh wouldn't think that. That's the Lord more than likely to do that to you and put that on your heart. See, and as you have a calling and you, you get out of a comfort zone and God wants to do special things in your life, it's just like Achish is always there. Achish is there like, hey, dude, I'll make you one of my chief guardians forever. I'll give you job security with the Philistines. You'd be my chief guardian. You'd be like, when you retire, I got this full severance package. Hey, we'll do not just 80% medical coverage. We'll do 100%. And he's like, hey, I'll give you 100% medical coverage. You'll be my guardian. You'll run my warehouse. You'll go out with me. The world, the flesh, and the devil are always trying to dumb down the upper call of God of Christ Jesus in your life and my life. We need to know who we are as a child of the king. We need to know 
what the blood of Christ means in our life. We need to know what the victory of the cross means. We need to know what the empty tomb means. We need to know what the ascension of Jesus means. We need to know what the right hand of the Father means and coming in glory means. Because that's what we're going from. Victory. We're coming from victory in Jesus Christ to do whatever he's called us to do. Whether it seems minor or profound, it's going to always involve steps of faith. And we can't let some Philistine king talk us out of it and dumb us down from it. Full obedience to the Lord is going to always be greatness with the Lord. Let me say that again. Full obedience to the Lord is going to always be greatness with the Lord. Don't be average with the Lord. Seek greatness with the Lord. Average is just to like play for a tie. We want to run up the score with the Lord. We want to be great with the Lord. And though it seems insignificant or profound, we want to have the faith, the persistence, the determination to really go for it and just know he's got our back. There's something to me that I find highly offensive, a verse to you, chapter 28, 1 Samuel, because I've known too many kings that have said to me, you'll be my chief guardian forever, but you'll never be that. It all began with a junior high school teacher that told me I would never be a pro surfer. And then you'll never, you're a Californian, no Californian will ever win a pro surf contest. No Californian will ever be in the pipe finals with Jerry Lopez. No Californian will ever win the pipe masters. I mean, I had to go, no, no one will ever start a pro surf tour. No one could start a pro surfing tour. I ran 17 events in 1985, the PSAA. There's no shortage of people that will talk down your dream, your calling, your purposes. And by the way, even though I wasn't walking with the Lord, the Lord had his hand on me in all of that. I always believed in God. I never doubted Jesus was the son of God. I just, I always knew I'd give an account of the Lord. I was just scared to do it. I wasn't willing to obey him with my life. But I never, I never questioned that Jesus was Lord and that I was going to give an account for being a naughty boy, naughty adult. Don't let Achish tell you that you're limited to be his guardian in his house forever. I have no interest in being the chief guardian for Achish. Do you? Do you want to be the chief guardian for Achish? Is that what we're aspiring for? This is your life, and you became the chief guardian of Achish. No. Jesus didn't defeat Goliath and lift Saul's sword. Exit the tomb, ascend to the Father, to have us be the chief guardian of Achish forever. Next time someone's talking you down, Eleanor Roosevelt said, the only people that can talk you down are the ones you let to. So if someone's talking you down, it's only because you let them. We got Jesus. Forward, onward, upward. So that's the conclusion of this part of David. Like, ah, you're like, <laughs> chief guardian. Like, dude, <laughs> I think I'll let that one go. Verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel lamented for him and buried him in Ramah and his own, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums, that's the sorcerers, and spirit is out of the land which they're supposed to do. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at uh, Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. His heart trembled greatly. And when Saul 
uh, inquired of the Lord. The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the urim. That was the thing that the high priest had to kind of reveal the will of the Lord. Or by the prophets. God gave Saul silence. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium. Find me a witch. That I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a, a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and, and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, uh, Please conduct a seance for me and, and bring, bring for me uh, the one I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the spiritists, the witches from the land. Uh, why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord. He's always, he's always talking about the Lord. We never serve the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. The woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me? You said, for you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And so he said to her, what is his form? And she said, he's an old man. An old man is coming up, and he's covered with a mantle like a coat. And Saul perceived it was Samuel, and he stood with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, okay, this amazing verse in the Bible, I don't understand it, to save your questions to uh, calling in Brian Broson on the radio at 3 o'clock or something. <laughs> now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul said, I'm deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is apart from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by the prophets nor by the dreams. Therefore I called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. And Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Well, that's a, quite a seance right there. That's a spooky scene for sure. And who can fully understand it? Now, of course, in the Old Testament, heaven and hell and all that is different. It's Abraham's bosom, their soul, it's a grave. I don't completely understand all that either. But listen, there's talking donkeys in the Bible. And I have no problem with Samuel coming up and going like, It's like, It's so like, of all the people in the human history you don't want to be, you can put Saul right up there with the worst ones, right? Like, who would want to be so? Like, oh, no. Like, you're at a seance, and you're like, oh, he's coming back. You know what I mean? It is funny, because it is, in a way. And it's like, he's here. Oh. And he's like, you didn't obey the Lord. Like, it's, it's the, the word hasn't changed. And here's something profound about this that is definitely serious. One act of disobedience years before is the very act by which he's come to the end of his life at this point. Wow. One act on one day of disobedience, the day before he steps into eternity, is brought back to him from different dimension, an eternal dimension, like just like a portal, here he is. And there's just one word. This is the consequence of your actions decades ago. And that's why the Lord doesn't speak to you now the Urim, the Thurim, the prophets, or anything else. 
this is very sobering because it just, it, it is Old Testament, but still, you know, the, the Bible warns about trampling the, the grace of God underfoot in the book of Hebrews, and there's other warnings like that as well in the New Testament. There's just something really terrifying and restraining for me personally, and I hope it's restraining for you, that a really bad decision on a certain day of your life can be that far-reaching to affect how you live the rest of your life with the Lord before you step into eternity to stand before the Lord. Which gets me thinking a couple key things. If we've made, if we had a day where we made a really bad decision and it affects who we are today, by all means, have it right with the Lord. We can never change yesterday. So we, by the grace of God and by the blood of the Lamb, we can make it right today, confessing, repenting, and making it right. We can never go and do all of our mistakes. And I got lots of them. You got lots of them. I don't want to know yours. I don't want you to know mine. But we can, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So for the really bad day for the the believer in Christ, or even a non-believer in Christ, really, if they'll heed the voice of the Lord, if they will respond to Christ and receive forgiveness, they will be forgiven and cleansed. And though that bad day might be like a scar or a tattoo you can't change or get rid of, it doesn't define who you are going forward. Because if anyone be in Christ, a new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. And his mercies are new every morning. And so far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed his, our sins and transgressions from us. So we have that hope. So if you feel like you're haunted by a bad day and a really bad decision, we can't change it. And you're alive, and there's a future and hope to go forward with the Lord. So I encourage you and I exhort you in Jesus' name, don't be crippled by the bad day. Be empowered by the grace of God today. That's what we want to do. And then be exhorted and warned for tomorrow. Because I'm... I don't want this day behind me. I don't want it here, and I definitely don't want it tomorrow. So we want to, in our, well, Paul, Peter said that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and we're told to be alert because of that. So we just need to gird up the loins of our mind and, and be focused on obedience to the Lord so we don't get tripped up by the wiles of the devil and, and, and make a really bad decision that can be so far-reaching it changes who we are when we're in the last day of our life. I want the last day of my life to be a masterpiece in Jesus' name, and so do you. John Wooden, make each day his masterpiece. I want the last day of my life to be the crown jewel masterpiece. I want my thoughts, my heart, my words, my actions to glorify Jesus Christ on that day like it did the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before, the decade before. That's how I want my last day to be. Yeah? I mean, like, really? And you want your last day like that. I just want you to be like, oh, glory to glory. Oh. You know, like, that's how I want to be. Like, that's how you want to be. I've had two dreams of going to heaven. When I was going up, and it was like, Peter Pan, I'm going up, and, and Buster was barking at me. My dog was barking at me. He was going up to glory. I was like, I'm going to go to the Lord before the dog dies. <laughs> that was not the correct interpretation because Buster's been in doggy heaven for a while. But it was so real. It was the most glorious feeling I ever had from a dream. And I woke up. And then, and then the other one was the, the, the chariot of fire came for me. The chariot of fire just came right at me and it grabbed me and I did a barrel roll in the chariot of fire and went straight up. And I woke up. 
So I, I'm feeling pretty good what it's going to be like on that day. Because I know in my own life, in my conscience, and my heart, bearing witness, though both those dreams are from the Lord. And the buster dream, when I, buster's a white boxer, so buster's like, rrr, 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 rrr. and I'm going up like in Peter Pan when they're going away, you know, you know. And I got, when I got up, it was a giant stadium that was glorious, and everyone was cheering. So I'm thinking that's, the Bible makes it glorious, it's indescribable. May God give you a dream. Hey, wouldn't you like a barrel roll in Elijah's chariot? Full bodyboarding barrel rolls. Whoa! I think it was just for me, right? Because I'm a surfer. You know, it's like it's for real. Though. I'm telling you, Jesus is my witness right now, standing right up there, right hand of the Father. That's that's, and I knew it was from the Lord because I've had other dreams from the Lord that were confirmed by actions that happened in time, space, and matter. Same, same, same. So God is good, and um, we want our last day to be a glorious day. Verse 20. We finish out the chapter. Immediately saw fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had not, he no food at all day or night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I put my life in my hands and heeded the word which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he rose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it, baked unleavened bread from it. She brought it before Saul and his servants. They ate, and they arose and went away that night. They went away to go die in a military campaign the next day. Now you might think when you're landing at Normandy the night before, you know that you might die the next day. Or, you know, when you're going into the jungles of Vietnam, you might think you're dying. Certainly in Gallipoli, the Australian Anzac troops felt the high chance of dying when they got out of the trenches when the whistle would blow against the Turks in the Gallipoli campaign. But sometimes you just never know, like, hey, maybe, maybe I won't. They knew that it was going to be their last day. It was going to be their last day, and they're going to a military campaign where they're going to lose. It's so sobering to me. This, in a sense, is probably their last meal. Like, you know when they're going to execute someone, they give them their last meal? How much better have your last meal with Jesus? He went to go be executed, but God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. I'll take the last supper with Jesus over the last supper with the witch at Endor. Amen? So we'll leave on that note. Hey, let's have our last meal, like the last supper with Jesus. And let's make sure we're not hanging out in the wrong neighborhood, in the wrong house, with the witch from Endor. I don't want her at my last meal. Guys, you don't want, right? Yeah, you, no. No, 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 no. Jesus and the Last Supper is our last meal. Amen.